Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's great to see you. Man, wasn't that choir awesome this morning? I'm telling you what. I thought I heard some good music in Zimbabwe. Then I came home and uh, they lit the place up. That was awesome. You know, I was thinking as I was, as was listening to the choir from the back there, you know, the, I don't know whether you, some of you are aware of this, but the choir has been prepping for like three years uh, since before COVID uh, to head to Germany. And they're going to be doing Christmas concerts all across Germany in some of the, the wonderful cathedrals in there. Uh, so th that's coming up. They're going to be going into November 1st of December. Uh, and so that's one of the things that's going to be happening uh, out of Life Fellowship this, this fall. This is that time of the year when we, we've amped up, ramped up, and, and are releasing folks for ministry. And I, I was thinking about, you know, our Wednesday Bible study that the ladies are doing is just, just packed out. But there's Bible studies happening all across the campus. I was talking to Gino Cassano this morning. They've got a Thursday men's uh, Bible study that once a month they go down to the Charlotte Rescue Mission and they conduct the service. And, uh, and, and they were preaching a message of hope last week that was just absolutely so incredible. And so they, they were involved in the ministry. You know, we've got several small groups that are starting right now all across, across the, uh, the, the county. And, and then uh, we've got our Head, Heart, and Hands ministry, which that trailer we put together uh, for the missions team uh, several years ago. And then COVID hit, and we couldn't use it for a while. But now it's going out regularly, and uh, they've been helping at uh, Cause for Tea and, and rebuilding some of that. They've got, we're going to be helping a church up in Mooresville that's revamping their facilities, that's doing a revitalization, and we're sending a team up there. We've got all kinds of things scheduled, and Jim Cashman is leading that. And if you're not on that list, call us at the church office. We'll get you on that list where you can use, use your practical skills to be a blessing to, uh, to others. Um, you know, we, student life is just absolutely a fire right now. I've, I've rarely seen things take off the way they have in student life, even over the summer when it's kind of a downtime. They've been exploding at 132 kids here not long ago on a, on a Sunday night, uh, and, and they're getting ready to go off on a retreat at the end of the month. It's just going to be absolutely amazing. I've been talking to Pastor Trey about that, and uh, I, I don't even know if they have any more slots open, but if your kid's not registered, you need to check with him right away because that thing's filled up, and, and there's just so many great things going on, and, and we're thankful for that. You all need to be here next Sunday, all right? Just, just do what you got to do. I know the leads are changing. They'll still be changing in, in, you know, later on, all right? Or go Friday and Saturday, but be back on Sunday, because the, this Sunday is something that the elders of this church have been praying for for almost two years, and, and we want you to hear what God has laid on our hearts as elders in, in terms of just changing the dynamic and the DNA of, of, of our fellowship as to what God has called the church to do. And so, you know, a lot of times when you see these things, you're expecting, oh, they're going to announce that we're building a, a new building. or they're gonna... No, 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 it's not that. It's more important than those things. So I really hope that you'll be here. Pastor Ben has been praying about this. By the way, he's up in Michigan preaching at a men's conference this week. Um, and and uh, you pray for him as he, he's doing that. But be back next Sunday. I mean, make that a priority. It's one of those times on the church calendar where you just say, you know what? I'm going to make this important and I'm, I'm going to be here. So, so that's next Sunday. But, you know, there's, there's so many other things. Uh, by the way, uh, there's a table out in the lobby, Financial Peace University. You know, we live in Lake Norman, and a lot of times in Lake Norman, they go, oh, we, you know, we've got all the money in education and so forth. This is a great area to live in, and, and Lord has blessed us. But, you know, financial stewardship 
isn't about when you're in trouble, but it's rather taking what you have and using it for God's glory and the good of others. And, and so Financial Peace University is a wonderful way of looking at how we're managing our money, preparing for the future, leaving a legacy for the next generation, assisting our family, investing in the Lord's work, managing debt, enduring financial crises, all of these things. And, and Financial Peace University is a great way to do that. And I hope you'll go by and sign up on that. By the way, if you're getting married and you don't take Financial Peace University, uh, I, I've honestly thought about not marrying people who don't take FPU. You really need to be in that. It will save you a lot of stress in your future. So you think I endorsed that there? I hope I did. All right? So that's, that's another thing. And then, of course, missions. And, and so many different things going on. We announced this morning that our, our project for the month of October is Morocco. If you've been watching the news, Morocco had devastating earthquakes earlier last month that just wiped out entire villages. One of the villages that got basically leveled was a village where our missionaries, the Hensons, who are now stateside, worked and lived and ministered for years and years and years. And we at Life Fellowship are sending them back to that village this month. And we are equipping them with resources to invest on the ground because of your giving to, fi uh, to, to um, above and beyond. All right? So we're going to take what we've already committed and add to it what we give during the month of October. The, there is a Christian community in that, in that area. And by the way, in Morocco, if you publicly convert, you go to jail, directly to jail. You do not pass go, all right? You, you go to jail. This is one of the toughest countries in North Africa to minister. And so, and many of us don't even know, we've got missionaries in our church that have made their investment there. So because you give, we're sending the Hensons back to Morocco, back to that village. They don't even know what they're going to face, but uh, they're going to go into that. This is what church life is. This is what living in joy is about. These are, these are opportunities we have to take this life and make it matter for the future. So today, we're going to be talking about faithful and enduring joy. We've looked at James chapter 1, and, and, and let me say this. I didn't know the name of the choir song, the first song, one of the first songs they sang this morning, but if I could rename my sermon, it would be Hallelujah Anyway, all right? after the song that they sang, because that is the perfect song for this message. Many of you know that, uh, was it three weeks ago today, or three weeks ago tomorrow, I left for Zimbabwe with a team of pastors. Uh, one of them was Rick Wilson, who's, again, another one of our missionaries here, and a pastor from Ohio, and a pastor uh, that I mentored when he was a boy in my church in Florida, and he's now been a pastor in Tennessee for 20 years. And we went, we divided into two teams, um, I think we were at uh, 10 or 12 different leadership and discipleship leadership uh, seminars all across uh, the country of Zimbabwe. We preached in four or five different churches. Uh, this week, right, this Sunday, two weeks ago, uh, I had the privilege of, of helping baptize 36 inmates who were in prison for seven to 10 years for violent crimes who had come to Christ as a result of one of the guys that we had previously trained in Zimbabwe. After it, we got, it was interesting, bless these guys' heart. I mean, you talk about hopeless. Think of the worst prison you've ever seen, and that's what this was. I, when I preached to them, uh, they, were, they were all on a 
pad of concrete that was half the size of this section, and there was probably 150 of them, all just lined up like this, just one after another. And they had this pool for us to baptize in, and it was pristine. It was clear. It was, it was beautiful. Um, and by the time we got done, you could have walked on it. I mean, it looked like a mud pit. These poor guys had not had a bath in months. Um, and yes, they were being baptized. They did not see this as an opportunity to take a bath. We, had, we heard their testimony, okay? These were legit. But uh, anyway, we baptized these young men, and, and, and some of them were older men. And one woman, by the way, one woman, can you imagine what it would be like to be in a, in a mixed prison like that? And uh, they'd come out of that water with their hands up just thanking God. And, and having new hope, and now they're being discipled. And, and, and because you all make it possible because of missions and, and the way we emphasize it. And it was, it was such a great time. We had a, we, this church provided 20 leaders across Zimbabwe to go, and, and we took them, and we, we kind of spoiled them. Because many of these folks, it's the, they have a 90% uh, unemployment uh, rate in, in Zimbabwe. Their economy is... Meaningless. I brought back a $10 billion Zimbabwe note, $10 billion, and you could buy them for a nickel. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what their currency is worth. So, uh, it, it, so much hopelessness, and, and all of these pastors are bivocational, are just living by the skin of their teeth. So we brought them and their wives in. We encouraged them. We did marriage counseling. We did coaching. We did leadership training. And, and then one night, I took them out to an African buffet. And, and this was like going to Disney World for them. It was, it was absolutely the joy, the, the, the gratitude that came back. And you all did it. You all made it possible for, for us to go. And we've got a 10-year plan now to be able to build discipleship groups based on Dr. Bruce Wilkinson's Teach Every Nation project in, in Africa. And, and, and then the next step after that is we're planting churches out of these discipleship groups. We're training leaders across there. And this is an initiative. It's a partnership between Life Fellowship and this, this leadership team we've put together in Zimbabwe. These kinds of things, folks, in the midst of darkness and hopelessness ought to give you joy ought to give you joy. I want to say thank you for letting me have the freedom to be able to do that because I oversee missions and, and, and I get to go. I'm looking forward to us being able to take more teams over and do the training in the future. But I want you to understand the work of the Lord is a joyful work. It's a hard work. Parenting is a joyful calling. It's a hard thing. Marriage, if anybody tells you that it's just easy and convenient, then they're probably single, okay? Because marriage at times is hard, but in the end, it is a joyful gift from God. Having children, there are times when you wonder, why did I get myself into this? But in the end, it's a joyful privilege because children are a heritage from the Lord. Service work, all of the things that some people find reason to gripe about, in Christ, there's hallelujah anyway. There is hallelujah anyway. And I want you to be able to see that. I want you to be able to know that and experience it because in the midst of anxiety and in depression and difficulty and challenges, God has commanded us to be faithful to endure, and to find joy. Before we get into the message, I want to I introduce you to somebody. Many of you know him, but, but I'm going to ask Rick, Rick Wilson to come on up. Because Rick went with me to, to Zimbabwe. Uh, Rick and Diana, uh, is Diana in here? 
Is she out working? Is she? Where is she? Oh, wave, Diana. She would not come up. She's a rebellious wife. <laughs> no. She's an introvert like me, and, uh, and, and she, she demurred whenever I asked her if she would like to come up. But, but Rick, on the other hand, he is a walking, bubbling extrovert. I tell you this because I've traveled with him now for the last two weeks. I used to think Bob Williamson was the biggest extrovert I've ever traveled with. Now we've got Rick. <laughs> Rick's the kind of guy that when he's sitting on an airplane, he's got a seat next to him. He's like, want to sit next to me? Want to sit next to me? He's that sick. He's that sick. Because me, when I have an empty seat, I'm like, please, God, whatever you do, don't let somebody sit next to me. But this is my brother, Rick. Now, I, I, I cannot tell you how much I love this man. This is my third trip that I've been able to travel. The first two times were, were at his invitation. He took me to Kenya, and he took me to Burma, Myanmar. And this time, I was able to take him to Zimbabwe. And I want you to know a little bit of a story. 40 years in missions. They, they, they've done amazing works in Kenya. They've done amazing works in, is it Ethiopia? I always, make, I always get the wrong Sudan. country. Sudan. Sudan. I always say Ethiopia, and it's always Sudan. Sudan. It never changes. It never changes. But it's Sudan, and, and in Venezuela, and in Myanmar. And, and God has used him in incredible ways. But, and, and, and now they're, he calls it retirement, but he won't retire. It's not that. But he, he's not officially uh, still mission, under the mission board that he's worked on for many years. But he does many things here at Life. You see him at the front door and so forth. And he serves on our missions team. We've got a missions team of 12 people that kind of direct and approve and so forth. And I'd ask Rick uh, a couple months ago, I said, would you be willing to go with me over there? I need somebody to lead the other team. I need somebody's experience. I need somebody I know won't whine. Uh, I didn't realize he was quite the extrovert, or I might have thought about it a little extra, because they ended up with three extroverts and me. It was, it was quite entertaining. But, but he, he said, absolutely, I'd be happy to go. But then one week or 10 days or so before he left, something happened. Rick, tell him what, what happened. Well, I have uh, been feeling tired lately, and I've been doing blood uh, exams, and uh, my white blood cells and my platelets and all these other things have been going down, down, down. And so I've been diagnosed with uh, leukemia. And, uh, but it's, if, if, if the positive side, if you're going to get leukemia, this is the type of leukemia you're going to get. It's a hairy cell leukemia, plus I've been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So I have a, a, a big trip, you know, a big thing happening on Monday. For the next six days, I go in for chemo for three or four hours a day, and then I'm off three weeks, and then I go back for eight more weeks for about six hours a day for every week for eight weeks. And, uh, and then we'll tackle the prostate cancer later on uh, in, in the new year. But uh, he wanted me to share that with you, and I want to do it quickly. Uh, I, we don't take that flippantly, but you have to understand us. So we've been through a lot of stuff in our lives, and we are solid in understanding uh, what faith is all about and who Jesus actually is. And uh, there's been a couple struggles. One of the struggles is, is that uh, we argue back and forth, Diana and I. By the way, don't tell her I'm mentioning her name in this. She told me never mention her name. So, uh, <laughs> But she's back there. She can hear it this time. Uh, she says, I, I want to go. I want to go first. I don't want to be left here by myself. And if you go before me, I'm going to kill you, she tells me. <laughs> and uh, uh, but you know what? If you're going to get cancers and uh, this is a good one to have, at least in my opinion. But then there's the struggle of just one thing I've struggled with is like, I can't believe I have this. And that's been the struggle. 
I saw a sermon by Dr. Jeremiah. He had cancer too over 20 years ago. And that's the thing that stuck in his brain. I can't believe I have cancer. But uh, in the message today, you know, there's joy in all this. The joy is, is that, hey, God has got us through all of this. We have a loving, holy, uh, wonderful Father who is with you constantly. And it's not Christianese here. It's a lifetime of realizing I'm in a pit, God. I can't get out. He says, it's okay, I'm with you in the pit. And, and I realize that. I know that what I'm going to go through, the anticipation of what's going to come, I, I can't even go there because I don't know. It could be real easy for me or I might be as sick as a dog for the next few weeks. I just don't know. But I know this. I want the will of God in my life. I want to be able to be who I am constantly. And if you're one of my nurses or if you're somebody give, taking my blood or if you're somebody uh, that's going to be asking me questions, you're going to hear about Jesus. In fact, I know I'm probably taking too much time here, but the doctor that took my blood test, he had a silly uh, question for me. What do you do? Boom. I went right. I got to tell him the complete gospel message in just about five or six minutes, all the way up to the point. Now you have to make a decision. He says, oh, by the way, we need to talk about your blood. <laughs> so he switches the subject and I just left it there. But the seed was planted. And that's what it is, because if we leave this life and go to that next life, we're OK with that because Jesus is going to be there. He's going to be he's going to be saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I've been waiting for you for a long time. Come on in. That's our hope. And that's the glory that we know we're going to feel when that happens to us. And so it's not Christianese, it's not fake, because all of us weep, all of us hurt, all of us to have things in our life we're like, I can't do this. And Jesus says, you can't, but with me, you can. I don't know if that expresses it, but that's, that's, that's how we've tried to live our lives. And, uh, and I really want you to know, there's a lot of phony baloney people, but for me, I don't want to be that person. I want you to know that, yeah, you know what? I've, I've shed a few tears about not understanding how in the world I have cancer and leaving my wife if that happens. But I'm also very happy that God has taken me through a trial that I know uh, could have good results. Last, and I'll, and I'll finish with this, sorry. He, he, I told him, you ask an extrovert, come out here. It's going to be a 30-minute sermon. <laughs> Last uh, but not least, I'll never be cancer-free. You don't beat cancer. You just put it into remission. And that's what I'm praying for. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, now you see why I love him so much, right? And, and as I was prepping for this message and as I was thinking back on the two weeks that we were able to spend together, I, I, not finding out you have cancer once, but twice, right before you're getting ready to go on a missions trip, I, I got to tell you, I don't know that I made the same choices as, as he did. I, I, things to plan, you know, bracing myself, getting second opinions and so forth. And, 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 and by the way, for Diana to give him release to go, you know, that's a huge thing. Because while he's off gallivanting all around Zimbabwe, she's here with her thoughts and fears and concerns about him there and what is facing. Um, but I, I kept hearing him say and watching him say over the last two weeks, I can't believe I have cancer. That's the closest thing to doubt I ever saw in him the entire time. But he would say it regularly. I can't believe I have cancer. It was weighing on him the entire trip. I can't believe I have cancer. But then I watched the reset. 
every time he would say that, he would follow it with, but you know I'm going to. But you know I believe God is going to. But you know, and, and then he would do his reset. We have to live with our realities. I can't believe she left me. I can't believe they fired me. I can't believe I got this illness. I can't believe life is so hard. I can't believe I'm still single. I can't believe my kids are doing this. I can't believe how bad this country is going. We have these moments in our, in, in our life that are anxiety-inducing, that are fear-based, that can be emotionally debilitating. But we do not have to live there. And indeed, living there is a choice as much as escaping those moments is a choice. That's kind of what I want to look at this morning as we are in James chapter 1. We heard it read, but I want to read it for you because it's only four verses. I want to read it for you again. It is the beginning of a letter by James who described himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was speaking to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So he's talking about the scattered, he's talking to the scattered Jews, his, his brothers and sisters by blood. And then he begins right off the bat acknowledging that the audience to whom he was speaking was probably anxious. Why? Because they had been ripped out of their homeland. They had been divided from their families. They had experienced extreme economic loss because they lost their jobs, their family wealth, their homes, their land. They were under constant persecution. They were under the heavy hand of the Romans who would execute you at the drop of a hat. These folks, in many cases, were hanging on by their fingernails. They were hanging on by the skin of their teeth. And the first thing that James said in his letter is in verse 2. Count it all joy. My brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Just two sentences, but filled with powerful truth. This morning, I want us to walk through this passage, pause, and apply it to where we may be today. Because here's the reality. You can find out you've got cancer twice in less than a week's time. You can lose your job, lose your house, lose your, lose, lose your family. You can, you can experience a lot of things and still at the end of the process, find a faithful and enduring joy. Not a happiness, not something based on circumstances, because your circumstances, quite frankly, stink but rather a reason for getting out of bed, a reason for looking to the future with hope, a reason for living well this day. And that's what James was telling to this distressed people. 
He was saying, there is a way forward. And so, let's look at it. Let's walk through this passage. Number one, he says, look for joy intentionally. Look for joy intentionally. When you, when you begin at the very beginning, he says, count it all joy, my brothers. The word count here is, is really an important word. And in the, in, in the ESV that most of us use, and it's kind of like our, our basic common Bible that, that we teach from here, um, the word is translated uh, count. But in other versions, it is consider. And, and it really is a similar word. And, and, and the idea is, is that it's given in a declarative tone or declarative voice. So I used to teach English. So every time I'm, you know, I'm analyzing scripture, I, I have a grammatical background that I'm looking at it. And so this is a declarative sentence. It's, it's, it's a directive. It's, it, it's, a, it's a statement of fact. And, and, and so somewhere between declarative and imperative, it is this statement of fact versus a command, but it is an expectation either way. And so James is saying, I want you to do something here. In the midst of your crummy circumstances, I want you to count it joy. That's illogical. That runs counter to what 99% of the world would do upon their first response. Normally, if you're in bad circumstances, you got to revel in it a little bit. You got to wallow in it. You got to say, man, this stinks. This is horrible. This is, this, this, this is defeating. This is so worth. And so many people never get beyond that. And so they wallow in, 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 in frustration that eventually becomes self-pity, and self-pity eventually becomes paralysis. And at some point, some choose to give up altogether. And, and, and James was saying, go counter. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to intentionally look for the joy. Intentionally change your attitude. Intentionally Find hope in the midst of your circumstances. Looking for the upside and considering and, and joyful possibilities, expecting something good to come out of ugly circumstances does not come naturally to some people. All right? And that begins with me. So I, we have a little joke, and I don't necessarily want to be identified as this, but... but Bob Williamson and I have this little joke because he traveled with me for a whole month on missions trip. Now, Bob, extrovert extraordinaire. I mean, you know, uh, he, he's the guy that if he, this is a crude Missouri joke, but you'll bear with me. You know, the, the little boy that got a, had a very, very cruel father and for his birthday, he got a, a big pile of horse, you know what. And the kid was so excited. And they said, why are you excited? You have a mean dad and he gave you this big pile of horse doo-doo. And he's digging through it, digging through it. He says, with this much doo-doo, there's got to be a pony in there somewhere. All right? That's Bob. Bob is the consummate optimist. I'm probably going to get in trouble for using that illustration. I'm sorry, it just came to me. I, I'll let it go at the next sermon, okay? But it was just, I'm from Missouri. What can I say? All right. But, but, but. But having this kind of attitude is, is part of his character, part of his nature. And I wished I had that. So he would, uh, he, he would always, oh, our plane is delayed. Great, it's an opportunity to meet more people. You know, that, that's just the way he was. I, on the other hand, can see the negative in anything. All right? And he would used to say, Dan, 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 you see the glass half empty. And I'm a full, full, full guy. I see the glass full and overflowing. 
But by the end of the trip, he said, Dan, you don't see the glass half empty. You see the glass totally empty with sand in the bottom. <laughs> because I'm just sure that everything that's negative is going to happen. I like to look at it this way. There are two types of people in the world, optimists and intelligent people. <laughs> however, however, James is saying, stop it, Dan. Stop it. Don't live under your circumstances. Don't assume the worst. Instead, look for reason and then by directive, by imperative, by declarative. Consider this. You can find joy in the midst of this. And it is our responsibility as the people who have a hope that lies within us to give that answer that is born of Christ, that is born of truth, that is born of ultimate reality. And that is this. All things do work together for those who love God. That nothing can happen to us apart from the will of God. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. These are the truths that allow us to count even the worst circumstances that happen to us as joy. This is what Rick was saying. Got two kinds of cancer, facing chemo for the rest of the year, an uncertain future. I have responsibilities. I have trips lined up. He's got trips lined up for his missions project. I've got work yet to do. And in the middle of all this uncertainty and all of these change of plans and all this confusing time, he said this, I bet you there's somebody that's going to draw my blood. There's somebody that's going to take my temperature. There's somebody that's going to cross my path that needs to hear the story of the gospel. And rather than doing it in Burma, maybe I'm going to do it downtown at the hospital. But I'm going to count it a joy. Now that's hard. It takes focus. It takes discipline. And here's the key factor. It does take obedience. Because when you get a declarative sentence, when you get an imperative sentence, when you get a command such as this, it does require us to put aside our natural inclinations and say, I choose joy. I choose my, to change my thinking. I choose not to focus on the circumstances, but on that which surpasses the circumstances of this day. Choosing joy happens when we look for joy. We will find joy when we look for joy. We will find joy if we look for joy. We will find joy where we look for joy. And if you're looking for joy and good health, if you're looking for joy in finances, if you're looking for joy in other people, if you're looking for joy in, in, in where you live or what you drive, then you're looking for joy in all the wrong places. The joy that the Bible is speaking of is a joy that gives us peace that the best is yet to come, that Christ is still in control, that His Word is true, and that we can have confidence in that. Here's the second thing. Look, if you would, again, in verse 2. Anticipate the challenges that are inevitable. So look what it says. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The scripture says when, not if. <laughs> we act like it's always an if situation, but it really isn't. The reality is you are going to face challenges, and the question is, will you live up to those challenges and defeat them? You're going to be tested. The only question is, how am I going to respond when I am tested? 
You don't enroll in college without expecting to take exams. You don't have children without expecting at some time they're going to get sick or they're going to be rebellious or they're going to drive you nuts. You don't get married, hopefully, thinking that it's always going to be easy. You don't take a new job thinking, well, all I have to do is draw a paycheck and it'll be good. Nothing that we ever approach is done without the reality that they're going to come tests and trials. You know, here's the problem. Many times what we do is we delude ourselves because we're not thinking accurately and we're not thinking clearly. Nobody who ever holds their hand, or their, their arms rather, around their little infant and looks deep into their eyes and smells that little baby smell and hears a coo, you're not thinking about the time when they're 13 and they're screaming across the house at you, I hate you! You don't think about that, do you? Because otherwise, you'd hand them back to the nurse. But those days are going to come because that's a part of parenthood. It's part of our fallen nature. It's a part of why they need parents in the first place so that we can let that bounce off of us and say, well, I love you anyway. And one of these days, you're going to think back on this and realize that you're a spoiled, rotten brat. And I'm going to wait for that day. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to anticipate it. And I'm going to remind you of this moment later on when you apologize for it. But right now, go back in your room until you calm down. That's what parenting's about. It's about working through it. It's about having to work overtime sometime or having to stay late at work to get the project done or having to do a hard decision uh, you know, that you're a supervisor over because these things require extra effort. And in the Christian life, we understand when we trust Christ as our Savior, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be roses and unicorns and rainbows the rest of our life. No, life is still going to happen. We still live in a broken world and we're still a mess. But what it does mean, we've got hope. And the hope that we have is the greatest hope of all. It's greater than a raise. It's greater than a promotion. It's greater than a a new house. It's greater than a relationship that's going smoothly. It is the hope that only God can give. It's the hope of eternal life. It's a hope of meaning for this experience. So anticipate the challenges that are going to be inevitable. You know, the good thing is testing can have good potential outcomes. There's many of them, but I want us to consider two. The first thing is this, testing can improve. Testing can improve. And, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, testing can prove. I got, got them backwards, got them out of order. Testing can prove. What does prove mean? It means this. It means that it shows you what you're made out of. You know, whether you're talking about steel or you're talking about alcohol, you sometimes talk about the proof. Well, what is the proof? It's how much you can bend the steel before it breaks. It's the level of purity in gold or in some other material. But there is a proof that allows you to understand how powerful, how strong it is, how reliable it is. And folks, when you go through testing and you survive the testing, it is proving you. It's proving that God is true. His word is real. But by the way, God's word is always true and God's word is always real. What is really being proved here is whether or not you truly believe that. The proof is about the ingredient that's being tested. And so testing can prove, but it can also improve. Why? Because we find out things about ourselves that we need to address. So if the metal breaks too soon, what do we have to do? We have to improve it. We change the mix of ore. We change the temperature We change some things about it. Why? Because we want to improve it. And folks, in our own life, there are times when the testing and the trials reveal our character or it improves our character. 
But one way or another, we, we, have to, we have to make sure that when we see the testing, we see it for what it is. It is an opportunity to count it joy. To reestablish ourselves in truth. And to publicly live out what we believe. And so that means when you get the cancer diagnosis, when you get the pink slip, when you get the adversity, when the relationship breaks, you stop and you say, okay, here it is. This is test time. You don't crawl back in the bed and pull the covers over. You do or you're going to funk the test. I used to have a college roommate. He was amazing. He could sleep through anything. He'd be in a class, the same class that I would do. I'd be up just cramming and cramming and studying and researching. He'd be in his bed, taking a nap. And I'd wake up and say, what? He said, ah, it'll all work out. It'll all work out. I think he's still in college, by the way. Because <laughs> it didn't all work out. It didn't. He did leave school. He didn't pass his tests. So when it's test time, what do you do? You bear down. You study. You pull the all-nighter. You go to the library. Those are all words that you would use for somebody who went to college 40 years ago. <laughs> you hit Google. <laughs> you identify ChatGPT. I don't know what they're doing today, but, but it's different. But you're still studying. You don't do anything. You're not passive about it. You're active about it. And when there are times in your life when you get the bad doctor's appointment, you get the, you, you, you get the relationship that's, that's going off the rails a little bit. When things are happening in your life and they've unnerved you and unsettled you, we have an opportunity to say, okay, in this moment, it's test time. It's go time. I am persuaded, Paul said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that to which I've committed unto him against that day. He said, I am so confident in God. I can be shipwrecked. I can be beaten. I can be chased out of town. I can be stoned. I can be imprisoned. I can have all these things happen to me, and I will not be dissuaded. And so he wrote later. He said, I've learned. I've learned whether I'm in the best of times or the worst of times that I can be content. Why? Because he counted it all joy. And then at the end, he said, I've ran a good race and I've fought the fight. I'm ready to see him. Why? Because he passed the test. You know, there's lots of kinds of testing. I think that's a word that we, that we, that we don't really realize. That, and, and there's more types than, than this, but let me, just, let me just run a few by. You know, there's pressure testing. Pressure testing is this. How am I going to respond to stress and inconvenience? You know, there are times when I fail this test so quickly, and yet it should be one of the simplest ones. This is a test that, that, that deals with, you know, a lot of times our, 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 our patience and, 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 and how we're focusing on things. It's, it's, it's a matter of how we respond when somebody cuts us off in traffic <laughs> or when we have a deadline or whenever our assignment changes suddenly or when our schedule goes off track. Pressure testing. There's an, another kind of persistence testing. And that's how long will I endure when facing challenges and obstacles that cause me to question my commitment. In other words, what does it take to get you to quit? What does it take to get you to quit? What would have to come into your life for you to walk away from God? What would, happen, what would have to happen in your life to get you to walk away from your promises? Your relationship. These are persistence testings. 
You know, there's, there's, there's this kind of this, this fad. It's called ex-evangelical, and it's all over the Internet and YouTube and Reddit and all these different websites. And like it's, like it's somehow, it, it, you know, the group think of the Internet is just so irritating. But it, like somehow it's really cool. Well, yeah, I grew up in a Christian home, and I grew up in a Christian school, or I was homeschooled, and I just saw hypocrisy, so I walked away from God. Son, you never knew God. If that's all that took you to walk away from God, you never knew Him. It was never real with you. So let's, let, let's start from the beginning. Let's start all over again. Let me ask you this question. What would it take to get you to quit God? I literally, when I was in my mid-20s and having a crisis of faith, got to the point because some things in my life weren't lining up the way that I expected to. And I had a transactional view of God that basically was saying this, God, you do this, and I give you this. I do this, and you give me back, back this. I do this, you give me, I'm a good boy, you give me this. I do this, and you do this. That's how I thought God worked, and it wasn't how He worked. And I got to the point when things weren't working out in my life, and, and, and we had fertility problems, and, and my dad had committed suicide, and my career wasn't working out the way that I thought. And all these things were, were happening, and I had this crisis of faith and I finally had to get to the moment where I said, I still believe. I still believe even though my youth pastor had an affair. I still believe even though I see hypocrites everywhere I turn. I still believe even though that, that we have to go to the doctor for these humiliating tests. I still believe. Because Satan, you're not going to win on this battle. I choose. I choose. And folks, I just want to say to you that Satan will do everything he can to get you to doubt truth. To get you to doubt the Word of God, the voice of God in your life. And we have to persevere. That shows, that proves our faith is real. Then there's people testing. How will I handle the failure of others and personal betrayals at the hands of others? Will you allow those to grow and undermine your faith in Him? If you do that, you've had your eyes on the wrong person all along. I pray, and this is a regular prayer of mine, I pray that I can finish my race that I began in ministry 40 some odd years ago with excellence and with, and, 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 and with fidelity. But let me say this to you. If something happens and I fail and that makes you quit God, your relationship with God was not legit. Because I am a human, and I fail every day, in small ways and in big ways. Don't put your eyes on your pastor. Don't put your eyes on a celebrity preacher. Don't put your eyes on a televangelist. Don't put your eyes on a book author. Don't put your eyes on an Instagram influencer. Put your eyes on Jesus. And you will never, ever, ever have to experience that kind of doubt that comes. Count. Count. Then finally, priorities testing. How will I make decisions on importance and significance? This is a test. By the way, you all passed a test this morning. You may not even know it. But there are a lot of people who are watching this on TV who got up this morning, or watching this on YouTube, got up this morning and said, hey, you know what, I'm going to eat my Lucky Charms and, and, and uh, uh, stay in my pajamas and watch this. And folks, you say, you're preaching to me right now. And yes, 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 I am. I love you. But if you're perfectly healthy, there's no reason why you shouldn't have got out of bed and come to church here this morning. 
Why? Well, I can get everything I need from the TV. Well, it's not all about you. Sometimes you come to serve. Sometimes you come to encourage. Sometimes you'll meet somebody here that will be a blessing to you or you'll be a blessing to them. That's why the scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There are people who are playing golf this morning who said, I'm not even going to pretend, man. Lucky terms or not, I'm out. I'm out the door. You say, well, is it wrong to miss every... No, we're not going to reduce this to legalism, but I'm saying this. Every day we make choices that demonstrate where our priority is. Whether it's reading your Bible, it's praying, it's witnessing, it's attending church, it's living apart from sin, it's breaking an addiction, it's treating people kindly, it's how we respond to pressure. All these things are choices of priorities, and we've got to decide, am I going to live in the flesh or am I going to live in the spirit? Am I going to live in obedience or am I going to live in flesh? And so these things are super important. So there's that priority testing. Number three is happily embrace the upside of faithful living. Embrace the upside of faithful living. Look what he says. Let steadfastness have its full effect. There is an impact that comes with faithful living, and it's good. And you know, faith is such a complex word, and I think sometimes we treat it so superficially. I hope Pastor Ben, one of these days, that lets us do a, a whole series just on aspects of faith. You, you know, because just think about the types of faith. This isn't an exhaustive list, but there's, there's weak faith. And that's people who struggle to really believe. Can you really believe this stuff? Can you, how, how can you trust the Bible? Did Jesus really exist, and why did he have to die? And so this is weak faith. But then there's a beginner's faith. And this is this, well, I can trust God a little, but not always and not a lot, perhaps not even consistently. But the step back beyond weak faith is a growing faith. It's the difference between being an infant in Christ and a toddler in Christ. And then there's a growing faith where each step grows to a greater step of faith. And the more you trust him, the more you trust him, the further you get, the more you walk, the stronger you become. Growing faith is important, and you may be there. You may have weak faith, or you may have beginning faith, or you may have growing faith. You've moved past toddlerhood, and you're, 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 you're in elementary school or middle school. You're, you're moving forward. Then there's a strong faith. Strong faith is a faith that has great expectations. It has future confidence in God and his promises. You've studied his word. You've seen his character. You understand his nature. And in this, your faith is growing. You're a vibrant believer who is taking great leaps forward because you trust God and you know his word. And then there's that other next one. That's that unshakable faith. And that's the apex. That's the ability to weather the storms. You stand on the mountaintop of discouragement and say, give me more. I can handle it. You'll not shake my faith. Where are you at? There's all kinds of faith. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm new. That's okay. That's okay. Are you headed in the right direction? You may be at beginner. You may be even at, 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 at growing. You may be at unshakable and you're getting ready to be tested. Are you ready for it? But the scripture says, your faith has its effect, and that effect is steadfastness. It's unshakability. It's unmovability. It's confidence that God is God and will do what he's promised he would do. Then finally, verse 4. Faithful, joyful, joyful perseverance results in maturity and wholeness. Results in maturity and wholeness. Look what it says. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking 
in nothing. Where did this start when we chose joy? Where does it end? This unshakable faith that is mature, that is whole, that is steadfast, that is complete. And that ought to be our goal. We endure the trials not because we enjoy the experience, not because we you know, have a thing that we like pain, not because the process is pleasurable at all. We endure the trials because it's the right thing to do, and in the end, it produces the reward that God has promised and what he wants to see in all of us. Faith in him, spiritual maturity, a depth of character, and a faith that makes us whole in him. And you know, that takes time. And that takes perseverance. It takes dedication. It takes a decision to count it all joy. And so we say, hallelujah anyway. Got cancer, hallelujah anyway. Life is hard, hallelujah anyway. We take control of our mind. We bring every thought into captivity and we focus on what we know and what we know is real. So what's God calling us to do? Number one, choose to locate joy in all of your circumstances. When you focus on the right thing, you'll get the right result. Our calling is more important than our comfort. And if you're living with your comfort in mind, then you're going to vacillate constantly under stresses and pressures. But when you know you've been called by God into his family, appointed, sovereignly chosen to bear his name, when you know that, it comes with the weight of opportunity and responsibility that you can look into the eye of Satan and say, get behind me. I choose joy. I choose not to lose. I choose not to be defeated. I choose not to quit. I choose not to walk away. I choose not to abandon. Instead, I choose to bear down. I choose to smile. I choose to trust. Number two, pass your tests as they come and recognize their benefits for passing them. When the tests come, pass them and understand that's a good thing that you've passed it. There's benefits. You get the A. You get to go to the next class. You get to graduate. You get the job. For us, it's steadfastness. It's maturity. It's becoming the wise one. It's becoming the counselor, the coach, the rock that others look to when they're facing adversity. And God allows the reflection of his nature to shine through us to benefit others when we persevere. The last thing is this. Lead, lead as examples of perseverance, endurance, and maturity. For the benefit of us and others, and for the glory of God. That's why I wanted you to meet Rick. I wanted you to see. I'd like to point this out. Rick's older than me. He's got some gray hairs. He's got some lines in his face. He's seen some stuff. He's endured some things. But what has it done? It's given him a core of steel. So that 
three weeks ago when the doctor was saying, oh, <laughs> you got cancer, not once, but twice. And you're getting ready to face a huge battle, and it's not going to be comfortable. We think we're going to win it, but there's no guarantees. And Rick said, yeah, 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 I got that. Can I still go to Zimbabwe? He literally did that. Yeah, 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 I, I, I hear you. But I got a missions trip planned. See, that's that steel core. What does Satan have in his arsenal that he believes that he can use to get you to choose anything other than joy? Other than faith? Other than steadfastness? And one of the things about Americans we like to brag about is our independence, our rugged individuality. American independence and rugged individuality is nothing compared to confidence you have in the God of the universe. But maybe it's time that we rely on that more. And in doing so, we'll change the life of those who come into contact with us. We'll strengthen our family. We'll solidify our church community. We'll impact our neighborhood. We'll call our nation to repentance. We'll take risks to take the gospel to the world. All of those can be the outcomes, the outgrowths, the consequences of choosing joy. Consider it, consider it. It is a joy to trust in Jesus. Are you trusting him today? You say, Dan, I don't know Christ. I don't know I'm a Christian. I don't know where I'd go when I die. I'm so happy for you. You know why? Because you're at a place that would like to show you. And we'd like to show you from the Bible what it means to be a follower of Christ. In a moment, we're going to have one more song. Choir's going to sing. We're going to sing with them. And that'll kind of be the end of the service, but it's not the end of what you can do with truth. I'd urge you to slip out of the seat, if you would, and go to the back. There'll be somebody out there with a lanyard on, wants to pray with you, it's white, and ask them, would you, would, would you show me how I can know I'm a follower of Christ? Or you may go over to the prayer room, which is over to the right. It's a room with the big glass windows in it. There'll be somebody there. We'll show you what it means to be a Christ follower. You don't have to become a member of this church. Don't bring a checkbook. You don't have to sign a contract. It's about a relationship with Christ. It's about hearing his call and obeying. And we would love that. Two weeks ago today, I was in a church service outside. Had a big, no walls, just a big metal roof. One of the tins kept flopping and the wind would blow it. and It would be so loud I'd have to stop until the wind died down that I could continue preaching. I preached for about 40 minutes. At the end, I invited people to receive Christ. And six people said yes. Yes. I want that for you. I want that for you. You invite Christ into your life. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Choose to obey him today. He's calling you to salvation. Or maybe you got the bad news this week. You're going through something and you can relate to what Rick went through. You may be going through something smaller or something greater. But today you're going to say, you know what? I'm going to stand on the mountaintop of my troubles. I'm going to raise my hands high. And I'm going to say, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. Today, I choose joy.
So find your steel. Straighten your backbone. Change your attitude. See the cup as God sees the cup. It's not sandy. My cup runneth over, the psalmist said. And that's what God has for you. Let's stand as we pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for challenging us out of our apathy, out of our fears, out of our difficulties, giving us hope, calling us to action, believing, Father, teaching us to believe in you. So help us to live like it. Help us to share it. And when the choices come, help us to choose based on truth. Help us to choose joy. For it's in your name I pray. Amen.